Hey everybody, welcome to the Day One, Week One podcast. My name is Billy Bowering. I'm an active duty police officer here in the state of South Carolina. Now the founder and CEO of the dayoneweekone.org. Over on the controls, I got my man, Nick Guida, also active duty police officer in South Carolina, but he is now the executive producer of the Day One Week One podcast. Say hi to the folks, Nick. Hello. All right. Today, we got a very special guest. We got Miss Parker McBride here to speak to us. Parker reached out to me on social media, and I got a really compelling email, and instantly I wanted to have her on the podcast. Parker is retired and nationally certified emergency medical technician for over 20 years. During that time, she's been diagnosed with PTSD, depression. She struggles with those things, but she still wins. She's here today to speak to the effects, the battles, and hopefully has an opportunity to help to rid the stigma of mental health. Parker, thank you so much for coming in today and taking your time out to be with us. Say hi to the folks real quick. Hello, everybody. Uh, Thanks for having me, Billy. Um, Appreciate you reaching out to me, and uh, it's an honor to be here. Absolutely. So we got got some questions that we want to kind of get into. Um, Obviously, we want to know more about you, where you come from, how it all started. Uh, So tell us where you grew up and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Originally from North Carolina, uh, born and raised on a farm up there. Uh, Went to college uh, in North Carolina as well. And then after that, moved down to Myrtle Beach and have been here ever since then, except for a period of about 10 to 12 years where I uh, went down to Atlanta. Started with a rescue squad uh, locally um, as a driver there and then moved on to EMT school and then eventually um, paramedic school and worked for several agencies with that. That's what I was going to ask you. One of the first questions was going to be, you know, when you when you first got involved with making the decision to get into the public service that you're in, was there a specific person or just the job itself that you saw that, that influenced you? Initially, it wasn't really any one thing particular. I actually wanted to be as a first responder in some means, so I was actually moving towards Border Patrol and then um, <laughs> took, a, took a little turn and, and got interested and started volunteering with the rescue squad, and, and then that kind of took off my... Uh, um, excitement for the first responder world switched over uh, to the ambulance and, and, and being an EMT. So they, so the, was it everything as you, after your training and, and all of those things kind of influenced and kind of got going, um, was it every, I mean, your experience now, was it everything that you kind of thought it was going to be, or did, is it completely different based on your beginning experiences? It, it definitely different. Uh, I really didn't have that much of an expectation coming into it other than uh, helping out other people. And, and I really liked that, and, and, and I really got interested in, in medicine. It did take a turn. It became a lot more exciting, uh, helped a lot of people, went to a lot of homes and a lot of different situations. And, and I liked that because I'd always said I never wanted a desk job. 
And so being out in the elements and being around people and, and, and having somebody that, you know, you're going to be working with day in and day out and you kind of get to know them, become part of their family, that was, that was really exciting for me. And I, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So t- talk about your first few years, um, training, and then maybe that first, that first bad call that you had. Talk about that. Yes, so I went to EMT school. After that, I was still volunteering for a local rescue squad, and uh, that kind of opened my eyes to a little more of what the world and the suffering was about. And it's not necessarily always about the the traumatic calls, but uh, the, the the medical calls, and, and especially when it's somebody that you're going to quite often, you know, and, and you get to know them and their family, and then you see them getting sicker and sicker um, and, until finally, you know, the, it may come to that point where they, they pass away. Uh, a little different with uh, uh, motor vehicle accidents or other random acts of violence. You know, I, I wasn't, uh, maybe I was a little naive in, in that regard that I just wasn't e- expecting that to be so in-depth and to affect me as much as it did. Um, but, you know, the, the more training that I got, it was like it became more and more I hate to say comfortable, but it, it did because I felt like, hey, I'm in the right place at the right time. And, you know, if, if I have to see this and hear this for a little bit of time, it's okay because, you know, you're still helping somebody at their worst time. So I'm okay with that. Uh, the EMT school was, back then it was just six months. Um, and, and then I, I continued with the rescue squad and eventually uh, went on and was hired with a, a local uh, organization here. And uh, that brought um, some steadiness and some comfort because then I knew that, hey, this is my new family. This is where things are going to take place. And, and hopefully I can stay here for, for uh, you know, a lot of years to come, which I did. So is there a, is there a progression from EMT to uh, paramedic? Is it, is it training, experience? Yes. Yeah, so uh, after I had some time as uh, EMT, I decided that I wanted to go to the, the next level and, and, and do a lot more uh, skills. So I did that at the time. It was called uh, EMT Intermediate. So I, I did that. That was probably about another uh, month or so. Got certified as that. And then it was probably another year or so after that that I finally made the decision that, you know, I wanted more. And so I, I moved on to paramedic school. And that was then nine months. Uh, so then that brought in a lot more of the rigorous training. And then, of course, you know, you're responsible for a lot more at that point. Uh, but it was still it was still good. Everything was still fine, you know, still having fun with, uh, you know, everybody. Then I was in the uh, uh, fire station and, uh, you know, just interacting with them. And, and we were having good times. And, uh, you know, you just at that point kind of think you're invincible. You know, you just don't see these things sneak up on you, and they do. They will. Some of the tough questions. Okay. Um, one of the questions I, I, I have, um, because, so, you're going through the paramedic part. You've gone through the EMT. You're still actively at the firehouse, and you're going to different calls. You're, you're gaining experience. You're also experiencing things that... As you're going through them, you said yourself, you're kind of conditioning, right? Being able to see some of the traumas and things like that. It's starting to be kind of normal, things like that. So my next question then is, uh, tell me about that first time that you had to stop 
any life-saving measures on someone. And if you could just kind of speak about maybe not immediately because of the training, but the after, the after sight, uh, after effects of that and how that, how that helped you. And, and did you have anyone that you were able to talk to about it? Predominantly with us, uh, we didn't stop life-saving services at that point. Uh, Whatever we had, we were doing, working in the the ambulance, none of that would really cease until we got to the hospital. And then the doctor would come in and re-examine, and they would do what they need to do. And then after a period of time, if they needed to to cease further measures, then they would. Uh, But some of those calls still... um, hit pretty tough depending on the age of the person, whether it was something that was uh, long-term, whether it was unexpected. And uh, I can remember the first time that that you're even doing CPR and and you realize this person, you know, you want them to have a fighting chance. So you're, you're working as hard as you possibly can. And there's a lot of energy expended in that. And you... It doesn't cross your mind that, hey, the outcome may be something worse. You think, hey, you know, we're going to sustain this and get them to the hospital and then everything's going to be fine. They're going to walk out. And I have to say that a lot of the time it it doesn't occur that way. You know, only in the the TV programs does it work out that way for you. Uh, And the turnaround it's so quick, you've you got to you know, get your report done, and then you're, you're talking to everybody, and every, you know none of that really phases you until maybe the next day or the next three days or maybe somewhere down the road because you're constantly busy and you're, you're going to the next call or you know, you've, you've got to run and, and do this or trade out ambulances for you know, another one. Something's always going on. So I don't feel like that there's their process there. Um, any of that downtime. And um, if we're talking about it, you know, maybe out in the bay or something, it, it may be just in passing or, hey, you know, did you see this or did you see that? And it's not necessarily going to be, I, I don't want to sound cruel, but it's not going to be um, in a serious measure. We're going to kind of, um, you know, not, not be as serious about it because it is so devastating. So those first times, uh, they start to add up, and then before you you know it, you you've performed CPR, you know, fifty times or so, you know, during your whole career, or assisted in it. At least you've had some some measure in, involved in it. So I, I think, you know, it, it eventually it takes its toll on you, and when you start to realize how many patients you have dealt with in your career, you know. So going forward with something like that, you mentioned um, depending on the age or if it was long-term, stuff like that. I mean, is there any, I mean, obviously, because we're in law enforcement, same thing. Anything to do with children is always, is always powerful. Um, Maybe not in the moment because of the training and trying to be there and, and do the right thing and giving everything you got to try to save that life. But afterwards, trying to understand why this is all that kind of stuff. So when you said it comes back a couple of days later or whatever, things like that, are you, are you looking in, in your career? Did you look for someone to talk to about that? Or was there a, an opportunity or was there something that was 
kind of given to you, hey, listen, we know that you guys just went through this situation. Let's go, let's go talk to some folks so that we're not carrying it with us kind of thing. Did you have anything that was, that was like that? So back then, there really wasn't as much set up as there is now, obviously. There were some programs that were beginning to come into effect. But um, as for me personally, I, it was rare that I sought out someone to, to speak to. And usually it was going to be someone that um, had helped me in my career, someone who knew uh, what I was thinking, that they knew my skill set and they knew me personally and how were they going to be able to kind of comfort me in that situation without critiquing it. Because at that point, you don't need the the criticism to come with. You've just worked your your hardest, you know. But um, most of the time, it was just you just take it inward. You you don't talk about it anymore or it's uh, just in passing. So over the over the many years of, of doing that, obviously it's taken a toll. Um, you know, you were open about depression and PTSD and, and those kind of things. Um, have you had a coworker um, that was impacted by a call where you had to be the reasonable voice or keep your composure um, where you were the one that said, Hey, it's, it's going to be okay. Or let's talk about it. Anything like that. Have you ever had to experience that? Absolutely. There was uh, several instances um, where it could have been a a family member of theirs or um, just a a traumatic incident occurred to them. And, you know, you're feeling their pain as well, especially if it's, you know, your partner of the day or, you know, uh, somebody on your shift. And so when one hurts and feels it, then you you all do. And um, I think... That is just as um, emotional as if it's happening to you because you're seeing it through someone else's eyes. And uh, I don't know necessarily that you're thinking about being the strong one. I think that we as humans just step into that situation. You know, we want to want to be there in, in your time of, of um, sadness or, or whatever's going on and, and try to let you know that, hey, it is going to be okay. I would say that um, that is a hard, hard place to be in, especially when they're asking, you know, did they do all they possibly could do? Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely, you did, but some things, the outcome is just not going to change and you have to go beyond that. So, with that, with being strong with a coworker, all that kind of thing. Um, when I say, have you lost a coworker? I don't mean necessarily to suicide, but I mean, had they gotten out of the profession because it was just too much? There have been several, yes. Um, and I would even say at a certain point, even in, in my career, I, I f- felt it coming to an end. I thought it was, was burnout. And maybe they had the same impression but it was just not diagnosed as being something else. And, um, you know, how do you, how do you distinguish between that and, and burnout and move on from there? But if it's not the emotional toll, it's the physical toll. So I know there have also been coworkers that had to, to leave the service because of, of injuries and that, that they just didn't respond back from that. 
So in your letter, you mentioned um, about the struggles that you've had over the years. Um, I'd like to ask you a little bit more specifically about the depression part. You're struggling, but you're still winning. That's kind of the key to this whole thing is that even though there's a struggle and you feel like you've kind of hit that wall, you're still winning. You're still here. You're, you're, you're coming here to give us and the people that are listening an opportunity to hear where your strength came from. And I'm, I'm more curious about that kind of thing, about where your strength came from. So right before, um, actually an, an injury with another service is what ended my career. Prior to that, like I said, I, I thought I was going into burnout. Uh, things were, were never right. Everything had to be perfect in my world. And I, I just wasn't adjusting to that. And there had been several times in the back of the ambulance with a patient that I just felt like when, when we'd, you know, take this patient wherever they need to be, home or, or hospital or some other facility, that this is going to be it for me, that I'm, I'm hanging it up. I'm not, I'm not going to come back another day that this is it. And then that would pass, and, and I'd come back again and day after day because this is my world, and I know how it operates, and a bad today is going to be an okay tomorrow, and, and I'm doing what I enjoy doing. And it wasn't until I left or you know had to uh, leave for the injury that I ended up moving to Atlanta, and that's where everything began to unravel. And maybe it was because I had left my home and the people that I knew and cared about and went to a place where I knew absolutely no one. But I I was searching. I was hurting, and I needed to find something to fill that void that would help me get back to where I I used to be, you know, the the old person that I I was. And so I went there to actually work on my master's degree, of all things. When you're struggling, you want to go back to school for some reason. And while I was there, I... um, So in this particular program, you were supposed to serve a couple of academic years at a different, in a different area. So it could be a college, it could be a hospital, it could be um, a school of some sort, whatever, prison. And wouldn't you know, I waited so late to even think about applying to go to school that they put me where they wanted to because there was no other openings, and I got the hospital, the very thing that I was trying to get rid of. And I thought, well, how is this going to work out for me? But, um, you know, it turned out to be the place that I needed to be, and I didn't see it. I fought it. I'm stubborn and uh, strong-willed and opinionated on certain things, and I just was not going to do this. And they were like, well, this is your only option, so you're going to have to. And it was through that that we had to take um, outside courses with it, and uh, of course one of them was a trauma class. And at first I thought, well, okay, you know, this is right up my alley. I know all about this. There's not going to be a problem with it until they decided that they wanted everybody to go within themselves and bring their own trauma to the table. And that was the turning point. And I found that I just was not coping with it. It all of a sudden brought back memories and um, things that I, I purposefully pushed to the back of my mind. 
and I didn't know what to do. I was becoming emotional, and I'd go from crying to being just super angry, and everything rolled into one. Nothing uh, would, would satisfy me. Everything was wrong or everything was right. And it was just a mixed bag of, um, of emotions, and what do you do with all that? And it just so happened that one of my professors was also a chaplain, and he said, you know, let's chat. And so slowly things started coming out. And that was probably the biggest breakthrough. And then he suggested, well, okay, now we have reached my pay grade. I need for you <laughs> to kind of look at maybe uh, seeing a therapist or, you know, a psychiatrist. And, of course, I was like, oh, hold the phone here. Nope, not doing any of that. I know where this leads. I'm not having it. And so he kind of let me go my way for a little bit, and then I'd come back to the table and I'd, you know, share some more things, and he'd say, I still think you might want to check into this. I'm like, nope, not doing it. So what what was the hesitation? I think it was, one, fear. Two, uh, even though I'm in a place where I know no one, what are they going to think of me? I'm the caretaker now. I have no idea what I'm doing in my own life. Three, um, what are you looking at? You want me to talk to somebody that I don't know? And how am I going to get through that point? So there was a lot of what ifs. And then I'd get paranoid. You know, my phone would ring and a Charleston number would pop up. And I'm thinking, oh, see, they're already talking about me. (laughs) You know, they're, they're trying to put me in a facility somewhere and I haven't even really said anything. And so then you put that on the table um, and, and to the, the stigma of it all, you know, um, well, here you are now you have uh, PTSD. And, that, and I, at that point, I hadn't even been diagnosed with it. You know, we were just thinking that that might be what it is. And I was like, no, there's no way it is. It's just burnout, you know, and I just need to talk these calls and I'll be fine. And uh, the more that we got into our discussion and the more I opened up to him and, and trusted, then the next step was I, I did end up uh, reaching out to a, a therapist. But I'll tell you, they wanted me to come in twice a week, and I did, and I sat there for 45 minutes at a time, never opened my mouth. I'm like, nope, <laughs> you know, I'm here. That's a step, but I'm not telling you anything because I don't know you, I don't trust you, and I don't think that you know what's going on in my world. And so we went through that for quite a few weeks, and then slowly but surely, you know, I started, you know, just putting little things out there, not nothing major, Just, you know, maybe a little bit about this call or something that happened with a patient or whatever. And then um, everything just started falling apart. It's just like once you rip that Band-Aid off of that sore, you have no idea what's coming. And then I found myself, I was like, well, this was a huge mistake. I never should have opened my mouth about it. I should have just kept everything quiet and just went on my way um when you get to that point you're stuck because now it's like am i gonna go to the next step or i'm gonna stay here where i'm at 
And I can honestly tell you, I didn't know. I had no idea. So what is that next step? You know, giving yourself options. What are the two options you're looking at? The option I was looking at was staying uh, with the therapy or it was going to end it. And I, I honestly thought about it several times. And uh, it was just my own own pain, you know, how this is the only way I see getting out of any of this. But then again, you know, I've got family and friends, but on the other hand, I'd also treated them terribly. You know, my anger and my sarcasm, and they could do nothing right for me, you know, because I didn't know what I needed. So I would take all of that out on everybody that was around me, which was absolutely not fair. So I've had to make, you know, amends for that and apologize uh, for that once that I finally found out what the issue was. So then when the diagnosis came with the PTSD and the depression, um, I said, you know, this is, this is it. I, I can't deal with it anymore. The, the, the calls are just too much. It's too much trauma. I, I just, I just, I'm just not going to make it. And so I can say that I was in my uh, vehicle one day and I thought, yep, uh, this is it. I'm going to do it. And I can say that uh, for the first time in my life, I became completely paralyzed. So I had my foot on the brake and I couldn't move. And so I'm also crying. The only thing I can move is like my, my hands and my arms. So I reached my phone and I called another friend of mine and he happened to be out of town. And he said, can you hang on? I'll be back tonight. And I said, yes, I can hang on. So I got a super big question on that right there. If, if you don't mind me, at kind of going a little deeper. You reach down for your phone. And in your experience, in our experience, there's those that will not reach down to their phone. Can you explain to me if you can, if you remember any of it, what was the driving force that said, I've got to call somebody? What was it that made you reach that, reach out and say, if I don't reach out to somebody, I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to kill myself. Can you, can you speak to that? It's, it's the finality of it. That if I make this decision, there is no coming back from it. And then I've done more harm to the people that I care about than I could ever do to myself. So I also realized that this was something greater than myself. It wasn't, hey, I can't do this. This was God telling me that I can do this. And you can't take your foot off the brake because I'm holding your leg down there, you know? So you're going to finish this. And I was just so thankful that the friend that I chose answered the phone. That's huge. That is so huge. Man, if, the, if I could say anything, and, and I don't mean to interrupt, because this is powerful. Um, but if I could say anything to that is if you get a call from a friend, regardless of who, what time, it doesn't matter. We've got to answer that phone. We've got to be able to answer that phone for everybody. So that was huge. 
it, it was huge, and uh, it, it said a lot about trust. When it came down to who can you trust, who's going to be there, honestly, I had no idea that he would be the one. But his name just popped into my head there again. I think it was the act. And he, even though he was at a conference, he responded. And after that, things slowly began to change. And as you know, I always said that that had to be the absolute lowest point in my life, but it was the redeeming part of my life because that's where things changed. If I had not have gotten to that point, I had not reached out, things would be a lot different today. So he, he, he held up his end of the bargain, and he, he did contact me. I mean, and I was waiting on the call. You know, it was like, I, I know you got to fly in, and I know you got to get home, and I know you're hungry, and you're tired, but, buddy, I need you mm-hmm. now. And uh, he was there. He was there. So essentially, I mean, we could say it, I mean, it's not even a play on words, but that would be literally day one, week one of the transformation. And that's ultimately, that's what, that's where the name of this whole thing came from, because that was the change in your life. It was day one, week one for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's it's a different, if it's a different life now, I'm not saying I, I still don't struggle from time to time, but, uh, you know, the, the weeks that turned into to months and years of therapy. So you're looking at, uh, in my case, uh, it was several therapists, because you know what, here's the deal. If you're going to somebody and you don't feel like you're getting what you need from them or they don't understand, you know, the world of a first responder or trauma or whatever, then you need to find somebody else because there's a whole lot of other people out there that are willing to sit in that chair for you. And that's what I found out. It took five. And then the last therapist, you know, she I really don't feel like she knew about first responders, but she knew about trauma. And I feel like that she did her homework on it and uh she was the the last therapist i had before you know i left atlanta and that was another uh turnaround breaking point for me and then the same thing with the you know psychiatrist and uh psychologist and uh individual therapy and and group therapy i did it all and medication you talk about being scared try when they tell you they're gonna put you on medication that's a whole nother world you know that, that you've got to try and deal with so that's that's one of that's one of my things is um I'm a veteran so uh every it seems like every time I go to the VA and I'm not trying to badmouth them or anything else but it always seems like they're like they always ask the question are you on medication you know cuz I I've, I've been diagnosed with PTSD from from the military and they've always asked me are you taking medication and that's not something that I'm I don't know if it's that I'm not willing I just I figured that the mind is stronger than any kind of chemicals you could put in your body. I'm not trying to advocate for or against. I'm not trying to say that because they can help people in, in great ways. Um, that's something that I fight against. So and with the thing with the medication, um, I was all against it and said, absolutely not. And it took time to get me to try it. it there again, it went back to the, the first guy, the chaplain, 
that was like, just just give it a try. You, you know, if it doesn't work, we can move on from there, but just give it a try. And it, it made me sleepy and tired, and I had to get a note taker for class, and a degree that <laughs> should have taken three years took me five. But it's okay, because I, I, there was people in place that I wasn't aware of that helped me get to, through that point. And I'll tell you that today I'm no longer on medication. That's that eventually it was, you know, weaned it off. And so now I'm aware, uh, you know, tools in the toolbox is what mm-hmm. you call it, right? That's right. So I know when things are taking a turn, and, and I allow them to now. So, hey, you know what, if I'm tired, I take a nap. If, if I feel like working out, I go work out. Uh, walk, whatever I need to do. And a lot of times it's just being outside because mm-hmm. when you're inside, you're inside your head. Get out and get going. And so eventually, you know, the therapy sessions stopped. The medication stopped. And, uh, you know, hey, if it turns around tomorrow that I sink back into that same mode, I, I'm hoping that I won't be as stubborn and as fearful as I was the first time. That I can say, hey, it does work. You just got to work at finding the right people that are going to be there with you. And sometimes it's not about sitting there having a conversation. Because I think people that don't know where you're coming from are afraid they're going to say the wrong thing. Sometimes we just need somebody to sit with us. Mm-hmm. Just be there. You don't have to say a word, just be there. So I can't tell you how many phone calls I've had where you just hear them breathing. That's it. That's all you need. And then you can move on. So obviously, I mean, going through those processes, when you decided and got over the fear of all those things, the support was phenomenal. It was. Uh, The next difficult step is letting people in on that, you know, especially when you're on the apology tour and you're saying, hey, man, you know, I'm so sorry that that I did these things to you, that I was cranky and yelled at you and probably said some things I shouldn't have said. It wasn't me. It was the PTSD, which can sometimes be your friend if you got something you really want to say. You know, it was like, man, it wasn't me. It was the PTSD that said that, right? So um, you, you, you go through that with, with certain people. And um, like I said, it's not a quick fix, and it's never going to be a quick fix. It's now a lifelong journey. And I'm okay with that now. You know, it's like uh, I may have been diagnosed with PTSD and depression, and I may have it, but it doesn't have me. There it is. Right? Yeah. Um, going forward through most, most of all of that kind of, you know, the, the therapies and things like this, you're, you're on the winning side of that. You have the, as you said, the tools in your toolbox, you're able to go forward um, and then you're now transitioning. Uh, you have it, it at some point. You transition from active duty um, when you finally had enough of that in the schooling and the training. And now you're in a retirement uh, portion of your life. And tell me how that transitioned into because now now you don't. I mean, do you still feel like you need to educate yourself like you did before? Because um, you were going to school trying to get your master's and, and just trying to be the best that you could be at this craft, and now you're going into retirement. So how does how was that transition for you? 
I still like to learn, um, but I don't necessarily need the schools to do that for me anymore. Sometimes it's just learning what life is going to kick at you and, and how you're going to respond to that and doing your own work on, hey, you know, what is this disorder that I have? Is it really all of that and more? And for me, it was. It was pretty devastating. But at the same time, there's that hope that I'm going to find something. And what works for me is not going to work for somebody else. What worked for them, sure, didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And it's just a matter of trying to find what does work for you. And like I said, it, and sometimes it, was, it wasn't even minute to minute. It was second to second. If I can just make it to the next second, if I can just make it to the next minute, if I can just wake up in the morning and start a new day and, you know, it could start out fine and then go back, you know, to, hey, you know, the, this, is, this is terrible. And you're going to have good moments and bad moments. But now it's just, okay, if I know I'm going to have that bad moment, how do I change it? Because I know that I can. You know, I'm not waiting for somebody else to fix it. I, I can I can do that. But... Sometimes getting people to understand that, hey, I I cannot be bombarded with people coming at me from all sides on the subject anymore. I need for you to kind of say what you're going to say and then just leave me alone and let me sort things out. Then I can come back with a response. I can't just run off the fly anymore. So it it takes a little more work, but I will tell you that, that... just where I was used up so much energy that I was tired all the time. And then when you're tired, then that leads into the thoughts, and the thoughts lead on to something else. So it's a vicious cycle. So you have to take care of yourself and, and start you know, getting out, doing things more. Um, and for a long time, I didn't uh, want to have anything to do with an ambulance. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to watch any shows with it. Nothing, and, and now it, it doesn't bother me at, at all anymore. In fact, you know, I miss it. And that transition from being there full-time all the time to not so much anymore, I, I miss it. I, I miss the people. I miss the family. And when you leave that world, that sets up a whole nother, you know, episode of now I have nothing, you know. My people are still there. They're still going to work. They're still talking about calls and everything that happened to them, and I have nothing to bring to the table. So an, another adjustment. So that's, that's what I mean about the transition into um, not having the phone calls, not, not having that responsibility, uh, that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm curious, I don't think I'm ever going to retire from anything, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I guess my question is, is the draw for purpose in your life? I mean, you still work currently um, with that, um, so that obviously gives you structure and things like that. You're still working while you're retired, but um, what about that purpose portion that transition into is, do you still feel like all the education, all the stuff that you brought, all the stuff that you learned, all the people that you've met, do you still feel that sense of purpose in your, in your life while you're in retirement age? For a while, it, it kind of dropped off. I felt like, uh, you know, so much had been given to me during this journey that I wanted to give back. And so I, I thought about starting, and I did for a while, but Billy, I think it, it wasn't the right time because I was still struggling, and yet I was trying to reach out and help somebody else. And I had to get myself 
together. And so now I am together. So when I first saw your very first episode, and I was like, these guys, this right here is the real deal. Otherwise, I would never have reached out to you, right? I appreciate that, 100%. Um, there was that connection, even if it was just from the voice, nothing else. It was like, this is it, you know? And then all of a sudden, it stirred all of that back up for me. And it was like, we got to help these people. We got to help each other. We're the family. So where are we at? And uh, then, then that brought up more and more and more and more. And then it was like, uh, okay. Uh, and before that, um, you know, I had gotten into art, which was, you, they tell you in therapy, you know, journal, journal, journal. Well, I got tired of writing, you know. So how about I just, you know, pick up some Sharpies and I'll just, it looks like kids' art, honestly. It's like little stick figure people with, you know, the calls that you ran or something, you know. And it's like I bury that because I'd hate for somebody to come in my house and find that. But <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but I would take that to therapy and I'd be like, this is it. You know, even if it had just words on it, you know, but just colored in and just highlighted. And that's what helped kind of get some more of that energy out of my system and kind of bring it into a, a focal point. So like you said, Nick and I uh, had a, have a huge burden for our family, for our first responders, our veterans, our family. Um, and the biggest problem with what we're trying to do is that there is that stigma. So that's why we, that's why I, I jumped at the opportunity for you to come on and, and talk about that stigma a little bit. And what do you think the most effective ways can be to get rid of that stigma so that not only the agencies that we work for, but the public, there's a perception when you get off the ambulance, they're here to do a job that all the stuff, the, the blood, the, the, the trauma, the, all the, all that stuff we can basically see past all of that and we can just kind of do our jobs. But then when it's an issue for us and we have to take a break or we have to kneel in the corner because um, the emotions have taken us to a place where we're not hundred percent sure what we're doing. And we want to reach out to somebody or we want to talk about it. You talked about it yourself. I was afraid you, you said yourself, I was afraid of what people would think of me. How do we get rid of that? How do we stop? I'm so good. I'm, I'm so strong. I'm the most powerful. I'm the protector, not the, the, not the person that's going to be weak in this, in this moment. And I don't see any of, I personally don't see any of those things as being weak when you want to talk about something, or if you break down and cry about something because of the emotions, but we, we need more of that. We need more of being able to get rid of that stigma so that our brothers and sisters are not taking their own life. You were in that position. You almost did it. But thank God you picked up that phone and not only picked it up, but he answered. So the stigma part, that's the part that's that we're stuck at, I think. If you have any ideas that we could come, that could you could bring to the table to help someone who's listening right now, that it's not a stigma that you need to do this. 
yeah, the, st- the word, even the word stigma, it's going to take time. And, and sadly, that's not something that a lot of people have. You can, we're going to have to keep uh, talking about it and making it so that it is an everyday thing, that it, eventually it'll become the normal, right? And I think having organizations bring to the table, well, you know, we've got these um, programs, you know, if you need help, you need assistance, you know, they throw that out there in the email all the time. My thing is, is do you really mean it? I got to know that you really mean it. You're just not going to send it because you don't want to deal with me anymore or you don't want to know that this is happening or you think, well, 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 you know, I don't know what went on, but our department offered them this. Well, that's fine, but I got to feel like that it's wanted and it's needed and that the person that I'm sitting across from uh, is truly there to help and not just, hey, I'm getting a paycheck and I just got to listen to a bunch of first responders talk about some calls, big deal. Well, it is a big deal. And, you know, if it's going to be somebody that that you know, sometimes that's an issue. Sometimes you walk in and, and, you know, this is the person that's supposed to be helping you. Well, you know them and you might not have the best relationship with them. Do you want to share your thoughts about something that's going to make you look weak with them? Probably not. So there again, is it going to be something where it's a complete stranger? And then what kind of time frame are you going to be looking at with that? So there's a lot to talk about. And uh, I don't have a complete answer at this point. Um, But I think having something in place is a heck of a lot better than having nothing in place. So I think it's going to be people continuing to talk and then maybe, you know, maybe going to your department and say, you know what, this isn't working. Y'all got to come up with another solution. Or maybe it is working. And then how do we make it larger uh, to be able to talk to people? Because even if you send somebody, you know, and say, well, you know, I think you need to go. It may be that they go and just kind of, okay, I went. (laughs) But they didn't really talk about what was going on. And you got to feel like, too, that your job's not going to be in jeopardy if you do go talk. That's a big one. That's a big one. Um, a lot of times in law enforcement, that's the, the biggest struggle, I think, that we, we might go into is that, oh, they're going to take my badge and my gun, and they're going to sit me on a desk for however long until someone else determines that we're strong enough to put that, that gun back in the holster and the badge back on our chest kind of thing. Um, for law enforcement, I know that personally to be my experience was if I reach out, hey, I'm struggling with this. Okay, well, we're going to take you off the road for a little while. Um, that That's a fear. And that's every, I think that's every police officer's fear, to be honest, because of tradition, I guess, is one of the big things. Um, it's taking you away from your, what makes you feel good, Right. You got into this because you wanted to help people, and now even that's being taken away from you. So now you're creeping further and further back instead of leveling out or progressing. Absolutely. 100% agree. <clears throat> so going, uh, going forward with that, um, I think you're, we're all on the same page when it comes to that. I think it, you're gonna be, you are a great advocate through this podcast. Uh, to speak to the to the person who's not going to go to the counselor or says, nope, I'm not doing that. To that person where who's been to counseling and is 
like me, when they mentioned medication, said, nope, not going to do that. Um, speaking again to that person who may never reach out to anybody, talk to a buddy, call anybody, might not reach for that phone that day. Hopefully they're able to hear this and hear your explanation of, but there was a hope for a better tomorrow, even though today was horrible, even though today was the worst day of your life and you don't want to repeat that again tomorrow, there was still hope. And you're speaking to that. And that's, that's huge. And that's what everybody needs to hear. I think it's amazing that you've come on board with us and in, in um, a full compliment when you said these, these guys are the real deal. We, I mean, we just, we have a burden for each other, for our family, you know, um, I really feel like that you've reached out to us because you have a story to tell and you've, you've told us a lot of really, uh, impactful stuff here today. Uh, you know, the process that you went through and you're, you're still winning. You're winning every day. You've got the tools, like you said, the tools in your, in your toolbox and you're able to, uh, uh, you're able to help others with that. So what is your ultimate, your ultimate message at this point? If you're, if you're talking to that person who's sitting in their car, they might even have the ability and the plan to take their own life right this moment. What's your message to let them understand that that is definitely not the right way to go forward? is to take a second. Sometimes that's all that you need is just that one second. And to realize that there, there are people out there who love and care about you. We don't always show that to each other. Life gets in the way. We get busy. But there are people who would do anything for you. And sadly, we get to a point where we don't see that. We don't feel appreciated. We don't um, you know, think we're good enough. But you are good enough. And every day you're going to be better. And it's not going to come overnight. It's going to be a lot of hard work. It's going to be a lot of energy used. You're going to go places that you didn't want to. But... Um, you know, so uh, one of my friends kept saying was, you put all this stuff of yours in a box and you put it up on the shelf and you can go get it and you can open it up and you can check it out a little bit here and a little bit there, but you put it back and eventually you won't need that anymore. And that's where I want you to be, that you can remember it, you know what that pain felt like, but you don't need that anymore. There's so much more out there uh, to live for and, and living for yourself and someone else as well. So. Outstanding. So I'm going to transition a little bit because some of this has been pretty, pretty heavy. So um, I'm going to ask you kind of a, a really kind of a cool question. Um, so before you got in your profession, tell me the one thing that you wish you would have known before you started your career 
Oh, my goodness. Uh, 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 if I'd have known there was going to be so many long nights and sleepless nights, um, low pay, is that even uh, <laughs> an answer for that, maybe? Um, and that it would take up so much of my time, uh, even on the days off, you know, and it would take up so much time away from family and friends that uh, it kind of becomes addicting in a way. You want to be there for that big, big call. You want to uh, be there for whoever needs you at the moment. But uh, looking back now, I think I would have uh, kind of shut that off for a little bit and taken care of me and, and my family and done done things a little bit different. But uh, I will tell you that uh, I wouldn't trade it. It's a great career. That's awesome. How about um, how about going into into the the retirement portion of it? Is there something that you wish you'd have known? How long, if you don't mind, how long have you been retired from the from that profession? Uh, I left in two thousand and three, so twenty okay. years. Okay. Yeah. So something that you wish before transitioning into the retirement side of it, something that maybe you could share with those that, man, I wish I'd have known that going into retirement. I wish I'd saved a little bit more money. That would have been nice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Yeah, maybe had things a little bit more planned out instead of uh, living, uh, you know, day to day and not having a a game plan in place. That would have... certainly helped out a little bit especially now <laughs> um probably taking the, a lot better care of my body physically to you know from the junk you eat when you're when you're at work you know how that is you got to stop somewhere real quick and you don't uh, eat the best or or drink the best and uh that that takes its toll on you too mm-hmm. or uh, would have gone to the gym a little bit more maybe uh <laughs> uh, I, I tend to think that I would. <laughs> this is this is our resident gym guy right here. So he doesn't send much through that this, but this is his this is his expertise as well. Other than being an incredible producer, um, Nick's fitness level is next level. So when it comes to that, he he encourages me in my own mind daily that I need to get up and get moving and keep going. So. When you talk about fitness and things like that, he's your guy. So um, this has been incredible. This has been incredible. We've I've, I've learned a lot about you. I'm super excited that you're that you're here. I definitely want to have you come on again uh, in the future uh, because I think you have a lot more to tell, a lot more to share, um, and I think there's a, there's an audience out there that wants to hear what you have to say about this um, because if they miss this episode, we can we can certainly go forward on other episodes and and. And really, if you want, if you're willing, go a little more in depth into some of those processes, um, you know, the struggles that you that you kind of endured and, again, are still willing, winning from uh, going to the next level. But um, I also, second that as well. Yes. It's two yes votes. Two yes votes. You're going to Hollywood. You're definitely going to. <laughs> she got the golden buzzer. So um, you mentioned your art. And I'd like to talk if, or I would rather you 
talk about it because I don't know a lot about it. If you could tell us about your art business and what you're doing there. Yeah, uh, really, it's kind of all over the place like my life is. So um, some of it is is recycled art. So uh, my business has also adopted uh, the beach at the state park. So uh, some friends and I will get out there and we just do a beach cleanup, which is, um, you know, believe it or not, uh, it really helps with your mental health, right? Because you're picking up all that crap and throwing it away, and you're like, hey, yeah, this is just like life. <laughs> you know, stuff. get out. Uh, and then you're, you're protecting that. So uh, some of the things that I find out there, I'll bring back and, and uh, do the recyclable art. Some of it is just uh, what I call just pores, and you just mix the colors together, and wherever they go is what they do. So I don't have to think about it. It's just a feeling. And, uh, and that's really brought um, a, a lot to me because it's another outlet. And sometimes I just scribble whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be anything in particular. But, uh, you know, I want to get that out a little bit more. Um, I, I've got some work to do on the website. I've kind of let it go in the last little bit. But, you know, as soon as I, I, I heard your first episode, I was like, it brought all that passion back. And I was like, this is where I need to be. This is where I'm headed. And so, you know, I appreciate you guys letting me uh, hang out with you for a little bit here and and um, I hope that we can do more together. Absolutely. So tell us about tell us about your business, the website, how they how people can get a hold of you if they need to. If there's a uh, you know the website, maybe a phone number or something, or where they can see uh, see your artwork, um, whether it's for sale or if you put it in auctions, anything like that. Yeah, it will be for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll have some more coming out probably, um, hopefully. Uh, the next month or so i'm in another little transition period right now of, of moving <laughs> so uh, i haven't uh, had the opportunity to do as much but uh, it's uh, saltwaternativesc.com is the website when it comes back online and then that's the same email as well saltwaternativesc at gmail.com outstanding outstanding nick do you have any i know you got he's He's so good at questions and all of that kind of thing. I just want to know if you have anything you want to follow up on. I just want to make sure that you're anything that I possibly have missed, something you wanted to touch on or anything like that. Because, I mean, we've we've got her here now. We might as well. She's she's willing to, to be an open book for us. So if you have anything that you want to ask. Um, I would say that... Um I'm, I'm really thankful you reached out to us. Um, I'm thankful for all you've done in your career and everything. Um, I come from, I don't know if you recall, I think I mentioned it in the first episode. I come from a similar background uh, before I came to law enforcement. I understand that there's so many struggles that come with, with everything you've done in that field, particularly. I think we've brought it up one other time as well that I've specifically mentioned there's a relationship you build with someone's life you're trying to save that we don't always get that with law enforcement. We've done it a few times and I understand that that takes a different toll. Um, but overall, I just really want to say thank you so much for everything you've brought to the table today. It's been phenomenal. Uh, it's been another mentor of mine for sure. Um, I'm excited for other people that are interested in the mentor series to hear your story and learn from you. Um, and I know that they've got a lot of tools from this to put in their toolbox. Um, I'd be thrilled, honored to have you back for another episode again. It's been awesome to 
sit here and take all this in and get to listen to it. Thank you. Uh, thank you, too. Um, you know, you've made it really comfortable. I mean, I didn't know you guys. I mean, what am I doing reaching out to you on uh, Facebook or whatever? You know, what's wrong with me? But, uh, you know, it, it just felt right. Uh, and sometimes you just get that feeling and you just know without ever meeting anybody. And you guys have been absolutely uh, outstanding and uh, making me feel welcome and warm and, and uh, allowing me just to kind of talk my way through it again. Uh, which, which is always a helpful thing. So I uh, appreciate you guys. And, uh, good luck with uh, all that you're, you're going to do, and you guys are going to be great. Really appreciate that. <clears throat> um, coming in, you know, I'm in awe, first of all. Um, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect when, when you came in. Nick and I had actually said just before you got here, um, Nick looked at me and said, this, this is going to be a big one. This is going to be a big episode. Um, and it, and it, it's over, it's gone over the top of what I expected. So, um, there's, I mean, there's so many people that when they hear this, they're going to understand. And I don't want to talk over it too much because I want them to be able to remember all the things that you've spoke to. So, um, man, I thank you again. I can't wait to bring you back on again. Hopefully you're open to it. Um, we can, we can go forward. I've learned so much from you today. Um, thank you so much, Parker, for being here. Um, Nick and I, so much gratitude for what you've done in your career. Um, I know the, the word gets used too much, but you're definitely a hero, 100% a hero. So thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. Appreciate everything that you're doing and going to do. This is, is going to be a big thing for a lot of people. You can, you're going to be there for a lot of people, and that's what's needed. And it comes from the heart. It doesn't come from, from, from funds or, you know, you're out there trying to get a name for yourself. This is, this is the real deal. That's right. So thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks for coming and listening to the Day One Week One podcast. Make sure you go to the website, dayoneweekone.org. Register your email so that we can get the alerts out when this episode is going to be released. Make sure you reach out to Miss Parker at saltynative.com salty native at gmail.com SC SC, excuse me salty native SC at gmail.com thanks Nick you've been awesome as always you kill it every single episode appreciate you man let's go to post-production